Thank you for listening to Voices of UMass Med, a podcast produced by the University of Massachusetts Medical School's Office of Communications. Welcome to the Voices of UMass Med. Our guest today is Shlomit Shal. She's an MD, PhD, professor and chair of the Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at UMass Medical School and UMass Memorial Medical Center. Dr. Shal is a clinician scientist who specializes in cutting edge treatment of complex eye diseases. And Dr. Shal, that includes diabetic retinopathy, and that's one of the most common reasons that people with diabetes lose their vision, right? That's right. So everyone that has diabetes will eventually develop changes in the small blood vessels inside the eye. And this is called diabetic retinopathy or diabetic eye disease. Retina is the back area of the eye where all the nerves are, and basically it's part of the brain. And I specialize in diabetic retinopathy. And here at UMass, um, UMass Memorial Medical Center and UMass uh, Medical School, we have a special clinic to screen for diabetic eye diseases. And we placed it in the university center at the ACC Ambulatory Care Center uh, in order to make it convenient for patients. So patients can see their diabetes uh, doctor at the Diabetes uh, Center of Excellence, or they can see their family doctor at the Benedict Building, and they can just walk in into the eye center in the ACC and be seen immediately that same day. And interestingly enough, since we started, we discovered that 30% of the patients who saw us in that manner were discovered with new diabetic eye conditions that they, that they didn't, di know didn't, didn't know of. No. So it can be just cataract that uh, happens earlier in diabetic uh, patients but it can be diabetic retinopathy, which can be blinding. So uh, we have now the technology and the treatments to prevent blindness, and it's very important that people come early uh, so we can diagnose them early and, and discover the diabetic eye disease early. That's what I was actually just gonna congratulate you on because those folks might have, their condition might have worsened had it not been for the convenience. I mean, it seems so simple. Right, so one thing interesting about uh, diabetic eye disease is it's really not an eye disease. Diabetes is a systemic disease, so if we have to think about other eye diseases like macular degeneration, for example, it's just a disease of the eye, so you need to see just your eye doctors to take care of the uh, consequences of this specific disease. But diabetic eye disease, it's not really a, an eye disease, it's a the eye is just an organ that is touched by the general condition of diabetes. Of the diabetes. Absolutely. Yeah. And we can absolutely prevent uh, blindness because it's not an eye disease. So if we discover the changes earlier, we have an armamentarium of treatment that we can just uh, prevent blindness. We have lasers, we have injections, we have other things that we can do to uh, prevent blindness. So highly recommend, it's very interesting because uh, the American Academy of Ophthalmology recommends that every diabetic patient sees an eye doctor once a year. This is the recommendation. Nationwide, the compliance with this recommendation is very low. Mm -hmm. Here at UMass, it, before we started this clinic, it was about 22%. 
So out of every 10 patients that were told that they have diabetes and they need to see an eye doctor, only two showed up for the exam. So we really studied this uh, carefully and uh, developed this new process where it's very convenient for the patient. You don't need to pay twice for parking. You already come to see your doctor at UMass and then you come that same day. You don't even need to schedule an appointment and you are screened. And then if we find something, we can treat. So we uh, increased the numbers from 22% to 95%. 95? Yes. Oh so my that's uh, really, uh, you know. And that's helping so many people. It so is. do you find that patients are just nervous about what they might find? I think uh, it's a lot of time people see well. So they think, well, if I see well, I don't have a problem. But the reality is, is that when you have problem with the sight, it's, the disease is already very much advanced. So you can even lose half or more of your retina before you even notice that there is any change. So this is one of these quiet conditions that you really need to come uh, early to be screened. A lot of people have nothing and that's reassuring, you know, come back in a year, we'll take a look at you. But if you have something, you better get treated because, you know, it's a preventable, pre yeah. preventable blindness. Yeah, that's fascinating. So you mentioned for folks with diabetes, they should be seeing their eye doctor once a year. What about folks who don't have diabetes, just your average citizen out there? How often should we be going to our eye doctor? Right, so you know, above the age of 40, probably everyone needs to be checked once a year. The reason is that there are silent diseases that we don't know about, such as glaucoma, 1% of the population, one in every, hundred people has a situation called glaucoma where the eye pressure is high. Now you don't notice it, you don't feel it, it doesn't hurt you, um, no, no pain, but the high pressure over years damages the optic nerve and eats up on the optic nerve and causes eventually blindness. And the important thing is that we can treat these high pressures with medications. We have several drops now that we can treat. It's no rare, it's rare now to have surgeries. But if you don't come and you already have a high pressure for many years and your optic nerve is damaged, we cannot bring back the, bring back the no, because the optic nerve is, uh, is composed out of nerve fibers yeah. and these are lost and it's like brain cells, you know, if they're lost, then there's no technology to bring them back yet. So we recommend screening uh, above the age of 40 uh, once a year. We also now have um, a eye clinic for kids. Mm. So it's very important if you have a, a child to have their eye exam before they go to school. A lot of kids need glasses and they don't know it. Uh, especially this new generation that has uh, an iPad when they are, I think, <laughs> infants. maybe, probably infants. infants. I, yeah. You know, the other day I saw in the airport, really a toddler that cannot even walk, but already has the iPad and looks at it and actually operates it beautifully. But this uh, concentrating on something that is very near can cause myopia. Myopia is nearsightedness. And then when they come to uh, school age, they really need glasses to see the blackboard or whiteboard right now. <laughs> but if you don't recognize it, then they will have troubles and then they may be bored and not concentrated so in class. So let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, what Are there lifestyle or diet or other kinds of changes that we can make to all of us to take better care of our eyes? 
This is a, a, a very common uh, question by all uh, patients. You know, there are several things that we need uh, to do for eye health. So one of the most important things is get examined and make sure that you don't have an eye disease that you don't know about. So, you know, once in a year, see your eye doctor, make sure that, that you're okay. Now, how to keep your eyes healthy? Uh, one important thing is uh, sunglasses. The sun or the UV light damages several parts of the eye. It damages the cornea, it can cause cataract to the lens, it can even damage the retina. Um, so one important thing... My kids thing, don't want to wear sunglasses. Well, actually you need to... Uh, in kids it's very important. The reason is, is that their lens is completely transparent. So the light rays of the sun goes to their retina more easily than if somebody that is 70 years old already has a cataract. The cataract is an opacity of the lens, so it's like a natural filter. So this is one, one important thing. The other thing, um, there is a, especially for women, if you are in a menopause uh, age, you know, after the age of 50, eyes become uh, dry. And when they are dry, the cornea, when it dries up, it, it becomes scratchy. So it's important to lubricate uh, the eyes. Something very uh, simple, but we all work next to computers. There is a new syndrome called no blinking syndrome where the computer screen is, and I saw it in your office, Jen, <laughs> uh, that the computer uh, monitor is up. Yeah. It's this level, you know, above the level of your eyes. So you, when you work, you look up and then you forget to blink oh. and then your eyes dry. So the recommendation is actually to put the monitors low so when you look down, part of your eyes is covered by the eyelid. Oh. And so that will so help you to uh, prevent dryness in your eyes. So special, you know, day-to-day -day, uh, modifications of what you do uh, can help you. Another thing that uh, is important uh, for eyes, you know, our grandmother told us to eat carrots, and that's actually true. You know, vitamin uh, A is important, uh, eat leafy greens, so diet is also important mm -hmm. for eye health, especially uh, everything that is green and uh, orange or red, tomatoes, uh, oranges. So Carrot. Grandma was right. Grandma is always right. And I'm going to lower the computer monitor as soon as we're done with this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Voices of UMass Med, featuring the people, ideas, and advances of the University of Massachusetts Medical School. are a clinician scientist, so you get to see patients and do research. What do you personally get out of each of those? So I think uh, we are privileged as an academicians that we can both be in the clinic and be exposed to uh, research. Um, and the reason that this is so important is that to allow the future treatments or to develop the future treatments, research really needs to focus on the problems of unmet clinical needs. So in my department, there is a very strong uh, clinical side, you know, uh, several physicians taking care of patients with eye diseases, but they are very um, strong researchers as well. And when I started here at UMass, I brought these two communities together and also 
including myself now, we have three clinician scientists, uh, Dr. Lin, Dr. Seddon, and myself, who do both clinic and uh, research. So by just bringing everybody together, the conversations and the topics become more productive. I'll just give you an example. We were, um, one of our researchers is focused on retinitis pigmentosa, and he's been doing research for many years in that uh, area. And we had a symposium uh, actually facilitated by uh, Dr. Bob Brown here, for the, chair, the previous chair of neurology. And um, we brought the scientists that do the research, and we brought the clinician, and I also invited one of my patients. And it was uh, really mind-opening, because I gave the clinical part, you know, what is the disease, you know, what is retinitis pigmentosa, what do patients suffer from, what are the treatments that are available. Then Dr. Claudio Punzo, who is our researcher, gave the scientific part, and then the patient, who is a wonderful, lively patient with retinitis pigmentosa, she told her story. And then afterwards, you know, everybody was so uh, impressed, Dr. Punzo came to uh, the patient and he said to her, I've been researching this disease so long and I've never seen a patient. You're the first patient. That's stark. So obviously, you know, if you're doing research, you need to understand, you know, what are the problems? What do patients suffer from? And also hear the story of a patient. So I think us as a clinician scientist community, we bridge that gap between basic science and the clinic, and it's very important and uh, would like to uh, promote it as we uh, go forward. And in your own research, what's exciting to you right now? What is the question that you're trying to solve for your patients? So it's, uh, you started the conversation talking about diabetic retinopathy. So I mentioned to you that diabetic retinopathy is a systemic disease, it's not an eye disease. And we have the technology now to image the eye in a non-invasive way. Um, it's called OCTA imaging. Uh, it's basically a picture that uh, can delineate all the vasculature, the blood supply of the retina in different layers. So in our research team, we are taking patients with systemic diseases and trying to identify early changes in the vasculatures of the eye to alert for future diseases. So we started obviously with diabetic retinopathy and we developed an algorithm that could tell us if somebody has diabetic retinopathy before uh, doctor could tell that they have no kidding uh, so and before the, they would have any symptoms whatsoever before anything the retina looks normal wow. but by artificial intelligence by developing these uh, specific algorithms the machine can tell you that you have it so we started there but we branched out to collaborate with different departments within UMass so for example uh, we are, have a study with OBGYN uh, regarding preeclampsia patients uh, we have a study in collaboration with the sleep apnea, so we can discover sleep apnea according to changes in the vasculature of the eye. We are working with neurology in terms of stroke to, to identify changes in stroke patients and, and also with um, multiple sclerosis. So we... All through looking at the eye, right, the vasculature of the eye. That's right. Oh, that's so, so it's maybe this is a way to have a reliable biomarker. Biomarker is a, um, a marker where you look and there is changes, it indicates 
a disease. So one common disease is uh, systemic hypertension. This is well known from the you know, 1600s that somebody has high blood pressure, there are changes in the vessels of the eye. It's known in diabetes, but it's not known in other diseases that cause changes either in the blood vessels or in the retina tissue itself. So in multiple sclerosis, for example, there is changes in the retinal tissue uh, and not the blood vessel. And with uh, this advanced technology and imaging, we can identify it uh, early. And it's, it's really uh, fascinating, it's interesting, and we hope to uh, make it available for the public. And you're using this with patients right now, or is it still in the testing phases? So we have several studies uh, going on. We have our study coordinator, Dr. Omar Helmi, who is coordinating right now probably nine different studies with different departments uh, within uh, UMass to uh, try to learn about these things. So, you know, if any patients are uh, interested to have the retina scans, it's not an invasive uh, procedure. They can uh, email us, we are online, or call us, uh, call the eye center, and we can enroll them in one of these studies. It's terrific information. So I think you have a really interesting personal story as well. Do you remember when the first spark of an idea that, hey, maybe I want to be a physician occurred to you? But I never wanted to be a physician. You never wanted I, to be. No, I am from a generation. Uh, I'm from born and raised in Israel. Um, and you were uh, educated in Israel as yes. well. Yes. And uh, uh, in Israel, uh, my father, uh, who passed away by now, but uh, my father uh, was very adamant, you're going to go to medical school. And there are only four medical schools in Israel. It was very hard to get in. In Israel, when you are 18 years old, you get drafted into the army. And my dad, you know, in a generation that you wouldn't talk back to your dad or you wouldn't dream <laughs> arguing, you know, right. with your dad, he said, no, you, uh, you're smart enough, you should go to medical school. And I said, well, dad, I really want to be an architect. And he said, well, after medical school, you <laughs> can do that. And in, in, when I was 18, I had to uh, really compete for a place in medical school. Everybody else went to the army, but there's a small group of people that they allow to, uh, it's called the academic reserve. So you can study medicine and then serve in the uh, army uh, as a physician. So that I, I got in, and he was right. It's a wonderful profession. I loved it. You know, after the first year, I, you know, I was sure that this is what I wanted to do, studied medicine. And then when I was 25, I got drafted and served uh, five years in the uh, Israeli Navy. Wow. And I was a as a physician. As a physician. And it was a great experience uh, because you are, you know, in the field. Um, I, I got to be a commander when I was only 25. Uh, of a very large uh, naval clinic. We had 2,000 soldiers that uh, we had to take care of. And of course, you know... And at that time, was it general medicine? You were doing everything and anything, right? right? So at that time, it was general medicine, but the Surgeon General of the Navy was an ophthalmologist. And I admired him. His name is Dr. Biran. And I'm going to send him this podcast so he can uh. listen. <laughs> but uh, he was the Surgeon General at that time, and he was an ophthalmologist. And he was a really uh, smart man, admirable man, a good commander, and also an intelligent uh, person. Um, and, you know, I wanted to be like him. And ophthalmology is very competitive still now, so I was lucky to uh, get accepted into a residency program, did my residency program. And then my, uh, I never planned it to. I never planned to come to the United States. I wanted to, my dream was 
to be the uh, best retina surgeon in northern Israel. Now, northern Israel at the time had only three retina surgeons, and one of them was retiring. So, you know, it was a pretty achievable dream, you know. Um, but when I came to the United States, you know, the opportunities for research and basically the horizons open. Um, so once I did my training in vitreo retinal surgery and uh, I was uh, offered to be a, become a faculty member, uh, offered to have a research lab of my own, these are opportunities that you can't have in, uh, in Israel. So I stayed here and, you know, my depth to my country is by training other physicians that come. Uh, and uh, UMass has a, actually a grant uh, that uh, we use to train medical students and train uh, residents. So right now in my department there is a resident, ophthalmology resident from Israel that, that uh, is doing uh, research with us. So hopefully hope opening up opportunities for him and opening up, up the horizon for him. And when he can come back, he can uh, contribute from his new knowledge. Always listen to your dad, right? Yes. <laughs> My last question is, uh, what advice would you give somebody, maybe a young woman who's considering a career in medicine? So uh, I think still it's the best career. Uh, I, uh, I have four daughters myself. None of them uh, followed me to medicine there. So far, everybody is in computer science and wants, wants to go to law school, imagine. Uh, so um, I think that um, if somebody is really passionate about uh, going to medicine, somebody really cares about uh, changing the health of other people and helping them live a better and higher quality of life, then it's an excellent profession. It's a profession that is forever changing. Uh, nothing is the same, even from the time I did my fellowship in vitreo retinal surgery, all the techniques have changed and I'm not doing the surgeries the way that I was taught to do them. So there's a lot of advancement and progress. Uh, but definitely my greatest advice is go and talk to someone. If you're um, interested, if you're uh, thinking about applying to, a medical, to medical school, talk to medical students, talk to residents, and talk to people that are uh, in the middle of a career. And not, don't allow anyone to deter you because it's a wonderful profession that is very satisfying and the impact that you make is, uh, and the significance of your work is uh, really uh, absolutely uh, prominent. And uh, I think still, you know, all physicians love the work that they do. Your passion comes through loud and clear. I love that, both for the research that you do and for the patients that you get to take care of. Thank you so much for My making pleasure. time to talk with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our conversation with Shlomit Shaw. She's an MD, PhD, professor and chair of the Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences at UMass Medical School and UMass Memorial Medical Center. I'm Jennifer Berryman, Vice Chancellor for Communications at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Thank you for listening to Voices of UMass Med, a podcast produced by the Office of Communications at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Visit our website at umassmed.edu news, where you can find all of our podcasts. And follow us on Facebook at UMass Med, on LinkedIn at University of Massachusetts Medical School, and on Twitter at UMass Medical. Mm -hmm.